Well, good morning, East Vancouver. Would you stand with me as we read the word of God this morning from 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10? Peter writes, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for, the, is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Remaining standing, let's pray. Father, the psalmist wrote, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. So, we pray that you would act accordingly to your character this morning in our lives. Open our eyes to see our sin, your goodness, and our new identity in you. As we humbly repent, lift us up. And, walking righteously among others by your Spirit as we leave this place, let us abide in your love. Amen. We may be seated. Who are we? Who are we? Recently, I read a USA Today article entitled, Coping with COVID-19. With an end to sports, college athletes face crisis of identity. The article is largely about Division I college football players who faced with a postponed or potentially canceled season, are experiencing these identity crises. Now, the article explains, From the time most of these Division I football players were young, they have dedicated themselves fully to their sport. These athletes begin playing football as early as age six. By college, the average player spends over 43 hours a week on football between practice, reviewing tapes, team meetings, and games. They are also celebrated through school marketing and promotion material. In other words, it's not just about we want to play or hashtag we want to play and missing being on the field. Football is the very basis of who these players are. And then our columnist says something very interesting, or asks something rather. So what happens when your whole identity goes under quarantine? It's not just college football players whose entire identities have gone under quarantine. Maybe for the past six months, you've been a, a chef without a restaurant, a, a salesperson without a hand to shake. You've been a teacher without a physical classroom to lovingly instruct, or you've been a pastor without a pulpit, a, a physical congregation to preach to and, and see and 
acknowledge. Individually, many of us have had our own existential identity crises as our identities have gone under quarantine. But what about the church? Stripped of large in-person Sunday gatherings, separated by a screen from those used to catch up with over a cup of coffee in the lobby, and forced to now figure this out, this community thing out, in perhaps a more costly, inconvenient, and uncomfortable way, many of us, myself included, have, have asked recently, what is the church anyways? Who are we anyways? And that's why today's message is so important. I don't usually give titles to my sermons, but today I did. And so here it is. Today our sermon is entitled, Who We Are, the COVID-Proof Identity of Jesus' Church. And all I want to do today as we begin to enter the fall and our lives ramp up again, it's a new season for many of us, is to remind us of three very simple, very foundational, and very important truths about the church of Jesus, about who we are. And looking at First uh, Peter 2, 4-10, we'll encounter three truths that you and I need to hold on to, cling to, and indeed treasure if we are going to navigate this season faithfully. Let me give you those three truths now. Write them down uh, in your notebook, just like this. One, we are people of the resurrection. Two, we are people of the Spirit. And three, we are people of proclamation. So people of the resurrection, people of the Spirit, and people of proclamation. First, we are people, friends, church, of the resurrection. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to 1 Peter 2, verse 4. We're just going to read that one verse together. Look here. Peter writes, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. One simple way we can define the church is as those who have come to Jesus. The hymn of verse 4 that we read refers back to the Lord of verse 3, who is later clarified in our passage to be the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is those who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but really, that definition, while simple, is actually an incomplete one. The question of our age is not, have you come to Jesus, but rather, which Jesus have you come to? Jesus, the great moral teacher? Jesus, the social revolutionary? Or, or Jesus, who's a mixture of a bunch of different things? You made him up on your own. No, Peter does not define the church as simply as those who come to Jesus. Rather, he clarifies that the true church comes to Jesus as what? The living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. We should ask, what does that mean to come to this Jesus? Well, the stone language has rich history in, in our Bible, and we saw this in our reading, didn't we? Twice Peter quotes from Isaiah, Isaiah and then the Psalms, and then Isaiah again. 
It has rich history in the Bible. And Peter sees in these Old Testament texts, and, and there are more than what he quotes here, he sees a promise that one is coming upon whom a new type of temple will be built. But before we look at that temple and what that means, Peter wants us to see the foundation or the cornerstone. And make no mistake about it, the cornerstone here of this new temple for Peter is Jesus. Is Jesus. Jesus who was crucified, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Well, how do we know Jesus was chosen, chosen rather, and precious in the sight of God? God. Well, it's his resurrection. We see this vindication. We see this most clearly. We see his preciousness to the Father in his resurrection. Now, we see all this in Peter's quotation of Psalm 118, 22 later. In fact, this is a favorite verse for Peter. He actually quotes this again in Acts. In Psalm 118, 22, Peter says this, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Friends, Jesus is the living stone. He's the living stone. He's the resurrected one, which means that the church does two things. It looks back at the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus as the cornerstone event upon which it was built. And secondly, it presently today enjoys a living hope because Jesus is alive. See, we see this connection in our text in verse 4 and 5 between the living stone and us as small l living stones. Look at verse 5 with me. You yourselves, Peter writes, like living stones, hmm, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If the imagery of stones and houses has you confused, you're a person, you say, listen to what one scholar says. The stone rejected by men was raised by God to become the foundation of a renewed temple of other living stones. As the living resurrected stone, Jesus magnetically calls other stones to snap into place to form a history-spanning, ethnically diverse temple of living stones. And as these stones who are alive because Jesus is alive, because the capital L living stone is alive, we can confidently pronounce in the midst of a seemingly never-ending pandemic, we are people of the resurrection. We are people of the resurrection. And that matters that matters because, friends, that means that we have a cornerstone to build our lives upon. Whatever comes tomorrow, and let's be honest, none of us know what is coming tomorrow. Whatever comes tomorrow, whatever new restrictions are put in place, no matter how we gather on Zoom or in person, whatever is said about us, the church, whatever is done to us, the church, we have a cornerstone to stand on. Jesus Christ, the crucified and rejected one, who chosen and precious to the Father, was resurrected to new life. It's to him that you and I are now joined. 
It's to him we can say we've been cemented. It's to this Jesus, this life, that we can now enjoy today. Whoever comes to Jesus, Peter says, as the living stone will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. Not now, nor at his return. See, Peter is writing this letter. If you don't know First Peter, let me just briefly tell you. Peter is writing this letter to believers who he calls exiles. Exiles and sojourners living in a hostile world. In a hostile world. He, he's not naive as to what it is to follow Jesus in the face of adversity. Peter does not have in view here some triumphant theology of glory. He knows that to follow Jesus will mean to take up our cross. And Heath showed us that last week as well. But not only are we joined to Jesus, the capital L, capital S, living stone, we are also joined in this imagery, aren't we, to one another. To one another. Near the top of my prayer list this past, or these past few months for us as a church, is that as we post sermons on YouTube, as we gather individually and with a few others from the comfort of our home, the comfort of our own couch, is that we would not make the mistake, that we would not fall into the trap of thinking that Christianity is some sort of privatized religion. That Christianity is simply a matter of me curating my own content at my own pleasure and leisure. That is a real danger facing the church across the board in this season. If we, the church, are the new temple, we are then also a public community. A public community united not only to Jesus, but also, aren't we, to one another. To one another. Peter begins our text today with an amazing assurance that if we are joined to the living stone, we are living stones being built into God's temple, built on the foundation of a cornerstone that will not move, that will not be shaken. Whatever comes tomorrow. Which brings us to COVID proof, proof rather, number two about Jesus' church. We are people of the Spirit. Look at verse 5 with me. We read this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The language of spiritual house can sound, well, spiritual, uh, ethereal, not tangible. But its implications, what Peter is saying here, couldn't be more practical, couldn't be more tangible. All Peter is saying is that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that also raised us from the dead, that same spirit now dwells in us. We are a spiritual house because the spirit lives in us. Peter then will briefly change the imagery to something he's going to return to later and will call us a holy priesthood, a holy priesthood. But we're not like priests who in the Old Testament offered animal sacrifices, but now priests who through Jesus offer spiritual sacrifices through the Spirit. Uh, again, spiritual sacrifices aren't make-believe ones. 
Not pretend sacrifices we pretend to hold in our hands, in our arms, but they're not really there. No. Spiritual sacrifices can, in fact, be very physical indeed. Rather, these sacrifices that Peter is talking about, that we ought to offer as this new priesthood, these sacrifices encompass the entirety of our life animated by the Spirit. In other words, now joined to Jesus, now filled with the Spirit, we can obey. We can pursue holiness. We can lay down our life. We can, as Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, offer our entire life as a living sacrifice. We are these kind of priests. And we can succeed then where priests of old have failed. Now, I think this is timely for us. I think this is timely for us because I know that many of us, and I've certainly felt this temptation, have taken the stress and the hardship and the anxiety of this past season as permission to roll over and give up. As permission to roll over and give up. To not act like the Spirit-filled believer that you now are in Christ. To act like you're powerless to sin. Though the Spirit says, no, I'll give you power to resist. To act like you're alone in this struggle. Though the Spirit says, no, I've joined you to Christ and to one another. To act like you're old, dead self. Though the Spirit says, no, as surely as I've raised Christ from the dead, I've raised you as well with him. Friends, brothers and sisters, we are people of the Spirit. And it's no wonder that our text today, if we look at it in 1 Peter 2, that our text today is bracketed on both sides with calls to holiness. Why? Because we're people of the Spirit. We can live this out in Christ. Let me read to you what comes before and after our text in 1 Peter 2 this morning. First, 1 Peter 2, 1-3. Peter instructs us, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And again, another call to holiness in verses 11 to 12. Beloved, and hear that, beloved, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. COVID may attack and compromise our immune system, but it cannot attack, it cannot compromise the indwelling presence of the Spirit. We have every resource we need, all the power we need in the indwelling presence of the Spirit, joined, yes, to Christ, but also to one another. And the beautiful thing about being people of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit will actually make real to you the first point 
that we are people of the resurrection. The Spirit loves to remind Jesus' people of Jesus. Loves to make, if we can say it this way, Jesus real to us. Friends, we are people of the resurrection and we are people of the Spirit. Last point. Last COVID-proof truth about the church. That's a mouthful. We are people of proclamation. The priesthood language of verse 5 that we saw there is picked up again at the end of our text. And Peter writes this in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Priests have have many duties, lots of things to do. This is true in the days of the Bible, and it's true of priests now. But the point of all these tasks, specifically of priests in the Old Testament, the point of all these tasks was always very, very simple for the priests. Their goal, their objective was always very clear. That through their worship of God, Israel and the surrounding nations would also be moved to worship. Would also be moved to worship, to proclaim the goodness of Yahweh. In other words, to do what we just read, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This task of the priesthood now falls to us. This priesthood of believers in Christ. We now proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our job now. See, Peter is writing to a group of of Gentiles, non-Jews, who now worship God because those chosen by God proclaim to them the good news of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. These Gentiles, Peter says, who were once not a people, but now are God's people, who once had not received mercy, but now have received mercy, are now commissioned as priests to go and do likewise. To go to people who don't worship God and to bring them into the fold of God, to people who have not known mercy and to bring to them the mercy of God. We began this morning by acknowledging a corporate identity crisis. Stripped of who we thought we were, many of us are panicking, freaking out. The fall has never been scarier for many of you. But what if you saw yourself, before you saw yourself as an accountant or a barber, or a mom, or a dad? What if before you saw yourself as a baker or or a candlestick maker, you first saw yourself as a living stone? A living stone united to the living cornerstone, which means life today and life at the end of the age, which means hope, whatever comes tomorrow. And then you saw that these living stones, you among them, were being formed into a new temple, the church, wherein the Spirit of God dwells. 
empowering you to live the holy life. You cannot live on your own. And then, and then you saw yourself not only as the temple, but as the priest, as part of a priesthood serving in the temple. And as a priest, you don't have to wonder what your purpose in life is. Your purpose in life as a priest is to proclaim. To proclaim. I say it again, it's to proclaim with all of your life as a spiritual sacrifice to proclaim. Suddenly, the existential angst of our age that we're all feeling of who am I? And what am I to do? It begins to dissipate. That existential angst begins to wane. Our desire to carve out our own meaningful place in the world begins to disappear as we are caught up in a grander vision. Christ City, East Vancouver, my prayer for this year is very simple. That you and I would get caught up in the grander vision of the Church of Jesus. See, it's a vision of a people, the church, who know the hope of the resurrection. It's a vision of a people, the church, who know Jesus' spirit and his transforming love. It's a vision of a people, the church, who proclaim the gospel of peace. That's my prayer for us this year. Would you join me in praying now? So Jesus, we commit this ministry year to you. And where we have sinned in our desires and in our aspirations, both individually and corporately, we ask that by your Spirit you would show us those things. Where we've misplaced our hopes and dreams into an individualistic vision for ourselves, we ask that you would give us a bigger corporate vision of what it means to be your church, that we would gladly, gladly get wrapped up in that vision. Like John says in the Gospel of John, that we would decrease, fade into the background, as Jesus, you increase. That's our prayer for this year. It's in your name we pray. Amen.